up on last week, we began a series of, knock my mic down, sorry. We began a series called Gideon, Your Weaknesses, God's Strength. Our teacher is Priscilla Shire. And today she's going to continue the lesson she started last week. Remember, main thing to remember from last week is Gideon was among a people who had stopped moving forward. So if you've gotten to a place like that in your life where you're not growing spiritually, physically, relationally, mentally, God wants to get you growing and moving again. How's that happen? We're going to find out in today's lesson and the ones to follow. Here's Priscilla Shire with uh, the second part of lesson two. It's called uh, Heads, Hearts, Hands, because that's where the problem is. Now... I just, I don't want to blame the parents completely because the reality is that there could have been some mamas and some daddies that were teaching, but the young people didn't want to listen. I mean, it occurs to me that in order for there to be an older person who teaches a younger person, it presupposes that there is a younger person who actually has a teachable spirit. But it, because it does occur to me that there is a whole generation of young people, I, I kind of still put myself in that group who at times think we know everything, who at times think that there is nothing that the older generation has to teach us that carries any value. And so there might be some women who have walked this road longer than I. They have been married longer than I have. They have raised their children longer than I have. They have been in ministry longer than I have. And they might have something that they want to share with me. But if I am not willing to open up my heart and to open up my ears and to humbly sit before them and receive the message that they have for me, that I miss out on hearing what it is that God has done in, his, in their life and can do in my life as a result of the lessons that I learned from theirs. And so I want to challenge you, no matter what category you seem to think you are in, Titus 2 says, older women, you make it your business to teach the younger women. That means you go find somebody who is a couple years um, underneath you in terms of the stage of life they are in. Oh, I'm so grateful for the women that the Lord has put in my life who have walked the road a little bit longer than me that I can call and say, what in the world am I supposed to do? <laughs> and they can help me to walk the road with my, with my um, ministry or in motherhood or in marriage or um, in, in, with health issues. There's, there are women who have some wisdom that they need to share. I'm so glad that God impresses it upon the hearts of women who've been walking the road longer to invest in a person that is coming after them. But, but there also has to be a woman who's willing to listen who has her ears open and has enough humility to sit before someone else and glean the gems of wisdom, the valuable insights that they have to share with you uh, from a life that has been lived and walked well with God. Now, the children of Israel had been told in the book of Deuteronomy, they had been told that they were to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their strength. It's Deuteronomy 6, you remember, they were told, you love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. But then what I want you to do after that is that I'm commanding you to make sure that while it's also inscribed on your heart, you teach them diligently to your sons. Talk about them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the wayside. When you lie down, when you rise up, bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be on the frontals of your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, wherever your kids go, 
There ought to be a clear demonstration, illustration, wording they can read, something so that no matter where they go, they are running in smack dab into insights about who Yahweh is, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I don't know if the children of Israel took this seriously during the time of the judges, but but whether or not they did is irrelevant. The question is, will we? The question is, will we take it seriously to make sure that the young people in our lives know who Yahweh is? And listen, if you do not have children, you need to know that you are not excluded from this. Because there are some 20-year-olds, there is a 15-year-old who would love for you to spend time with her and help to inscribe on her heart the word of God. 30-year-olds, there are people that are under you. Even if you have no children of your own, you know the, the single mother down the street and the kids you see playing in the front yard all the time? What if they came to Wednesday night service with you every now and then so that you could take a minute to just invest in some folks who are coming after you? And by the way, at every single point in our lives, we are both the younger woman and the older woman. There's no age range that has been placed on older woman or younger woman. I am 37 years old uh, right now, and at 37 years old, I should be making it my business to invest in some younger women who are coming after me. But at the exact same time that I am the older woman to some women that are coming behind me, I am very much the younger women for some others that have already walked that road ahead of me. So at any point of your life, 20s or 30s or teens or 40s or 50s or 60s, you are both the younger woman and the older woman. And so you ought to make it your business to teach others but to also have a willing, open spirit that wants to learn and heed from the people that God will send in your path. I don't know how you were raised, but I, you know, it wasn't a debate with my parents as to whether or not I was going to church. (laughs) There was no discussion. Can somebody say amen? Anybody have my parents? There was no discussion about whether or not I felt like going to church, you know, whether or not I wanted to get out of my bed and leave the house. Well, mom, it's raining, so... Mom, it's too hot, so get up, get dressed, we're going to church. And I would sit in church, and I remember, um, actually, I don't recall this, but I can only assume, because of my uh, sitting in church with my sons now, that that my expression on my face then must have looked exactly like my boys now. (laughs) Because they sit in church, their heads are hung back on the pew, they're doodling on the program, I'm trying to get them to sit up and pay attention, and they look like... I mean, they they literally say to me, how long is the message going to be today? And you need to know that their pastor is their grandfather. They don't care. They want the message over. And so they sit in church with these expressions of sheer horror on their face because they can't believe I am submitting them to this torture. And I'm sure I looked like that when I was a kid. But let me tell you something. I am so grateful to my parents for putting me in a position to hear the word of God. Because now as an adult, honestly, there are so many times when I am in ministry or when I'm just talking one-on-one with someone or when I'm hanging out with my own kids where there is a spiritual principle or a verse that bubbles up within me that I don't remember any time in my adult life actually literally studying that passage, but the principle of it or the words themselves bubble up within me and I find myself speaking them or thinking them, not because of what the study that I did, but because I had some parents who sat me under the teaching of God's word and the seed was just planted in my heart. And so here are my boys and they're sitting in church and they're looking completely disgusted because I am causing them to suffer in this way. (laughs) And they look like they're not listening. But let me tell you, when you're with the people of God in the presence of God, underneath the hearing of God, that seed gets planted in your heart. So I want to encourage you if the young people in your life look like they could care less 
about what it is that they are hearing, the reality is they are hearing. And if you uh, weren't raised um, like me, maybe you didn't have parents or grandparents or aunts or uncles or anybody that put you in the pew and and made you hear, hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe you didn't come to know Jesus until later in your life and you're just now a student of the Bible. Don't you for one moment think that you were hampered or hindered or handicapped in any way, my friend. In fact, what I believe is that the Lord is causing, cause, causing and calling you to start a brand new legacy, a brand new generation. If you didn't grow up under the teaching of God's word, you ought to make it your business to be sure that there is not one person younger than you who will be in your path who will not know beyond a shadow of a doubt who the Lord is. You can break the chain, my friend. You can be the chain breaker. Do you know, we got to think of creative ways, um, creative ways to get the word of God in, in, in young people, in ourselves, but also in the people that are coming after us. And I am not uh, perfect by any means in my parenting. I will tell you that I wish I had more patience to sit down and have a real live devotional, you know, a godly devotional with my, <laughs> with my, uh, with my, my children. But most of the time, you know, it's, it's, it's before bed. I'll read them. I've been reading them, actually, the story of Gideon in the last few uh, weeks, just kind of going through the story of Gideon with them. They're, they're mostly excited about the, the whole battle part with the 300 and the warriors and the trumpets and the swords. That's what they're excited about. But we read the whole story and and sometimes, you know, I just get to bedtime and don't really want to read a Bible story because it's bedtime. And I have been waiting all day for eight o'clock. <laughs> I have been doing everything in my power to get to eight. So when eight comes, they're going to bed. <laughs> So I've had to try to figure out a, a few other creative ways to try to get the word of God in them. And I'll tell you one of the things that I do, even though I might not be consistent with seven nights a week, making sure that they're hearing God's word before they go to bed. Something that I do is that when they are leaving the house for school, I take them some mornings, Jerry, my husband takes them other mornings. Um, if they're leaving the house or I'm dropping them off, I'm in the car and they're about to get out of the car. I say some things to them. It always begins this way. I always look at them and say, guys, I have to tell you something. And they go, oh. I say, you are a man of integrity and character. And they say, and honesty. (laughs) Yes, you are a man of integrity and character and honesty. And I say, today, you will be a blessing to your teachers. You will be a blessing to your friends. And I say, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then I just think of whatever scriptures come to mind, and I quote it to them. You will bless the Lord at all times, and his praises will continually be in your mouth. You will be blessed when you go in. You will be blessed when you come out. You will be blessed in the city. You will be blessed in the field. You will put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. You will take up the full armor of God. So that you can stand against the schemes of the devil and you will do it or I will spank you. <laughs> Every single day I begin to say this, my boys, they quote most of it back to me. Disgusted with every single word. They're like, we will be men of integrity and character and honesty. We will love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and strength. The four-year-old is the only one left so far who still has a smile on his face as I think <laughs> I'm cherishing every single moment of it because he just looks up at me and cannot wait for me to speak that over him. He's slowly and surely learning from his brothers. 
Sometimes they'll put their hands up over their ears and I'll say, oh, take your hands down. You're listening to every single word of this letter. <laughs> and do you know when they say some of those statements back to me, even though they say them just a little bit like, oh, mom, the very fact that they're saying it back to me means it's in them. So I wonder if you might just print up a Bible verse and post it to their bathroom mirror. I wonder if you just might put one um, where you know they like to sit and maybe watch a little television or play their video games and you print up one on a poster card and you just, you just stick it right there. <laughs> so that every now and then they'll glance up at it in between what they're playing, they'll see the word of God. So that there will be a generation who comes after us who knows who God is. Not the new creation of who God has made to be in our culture, but who he has always been in the pages of scripture. But that wasn't the only problem, the problem with what was in their heads. Remember, there was a problem also with their hearts. Their hearts hadn't been stirred for passion with him. And it says that they did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Now, this is interesting because there is a difference between a Christian and a Christian who is on fire and passionate and living victoriously. There is a difference between someone who is a Christian in name only, you know, who reads a verse a day to keep the devil away, who attends church because that's what they're supposed to do, and someone who when they talk, their conversation spills out with their love and their great passion for Jesus, that they cannot wait to tell you about the works of his hands. What separates a Christian who just knows him for a Christian, from a Christian that has a passion for him is that one of them has read the book and another one has actually seen the God of the book move in their lives. There are 18 inches that are in between your head and your heart. And the difference between victorious living or not in your Christianity and mine is in those 18 inches. That if you just know the Lord, but it has not been transferred into a passion in your hearts, then you will find that your relationship with him is stagnant and you're not able, you're not equipped to live the victorious Christian life. And that transfer is made when you see the works of his hands. Not when you've heard a testimony about the works of his hands, but when you've seen it for yourself. Remember, this generation that lived during the time of Gideon, You'll recall that um, their parents, their grandparents, they, they knew about the Red Sea thing. They knew about the whole freedom from captivity thing. They knew about the shoes not wearing out on their feet. They heard about the manna. The fathers in particular would sit their sons on their knee and would talk to them specifically and emphatically about all of the details of what God had done for them. But you can only ride the coattails of your parents and grandparents' faith for so long. Before you come up against your own enemy, against your own dilemma, against your own difficulty, where you need your own faith and your own passion in your own heart. And that will not come because of the works that somebody else has seen Yahweh do. It's only going to come when you've seen those works with your own hands, with your own eyes and in your own life. And when you've heard his voice with your own ears. And so there's a generation of people now who did not know the works of the Lord. There was a friend in my life, um, her name was Christine. Christine has been a friend of mine for about six years. And Christine is this little firework package of energy. I mean, she is bouncing off the walls constantly. And she just has a lot of energy. But more than that, her passion and her zeal and her fire for the Lord is unbelievable. I have never been in relationship with someone who ignites my own passion for God like this girl does. I mean, every time she talks, every time we're just in conversation, I mean, just about regular daily life stuff, 
somehow what she shares about the Lord, what she's reading in her Bible study time or how he's speaking to her and ministering to her in her life or something that she's seen him do in her circumstances or through her church or anything that's happening in her life, somehow I just leave on fire for God because this girl has so much passion for him. And so, you know what? I was just bold and I asked her, where does your passion come from? She said to me, I have seen him do too much not to be passionate about it. Now, Christine and her husband started a ministry uh, four years ago. It's called A21. They, their heart was... Um, their heart was kind of stirred for all of these victims of human tra- trafficking. Uh, she found out that there were, she, she saw some posters in an airport. She was in Greece and she saw some posters of all these missing girls as she was walking through the airport. And the Lord used that to stir her heart and a desire for a ministry that literally um, went in and rescued these girls. She was like, somebody's got to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Somebody's got to rescue these girls. And so she took it upon herself. She and her husband together just felt stirred to start this ministry. And so they did that. And in this ministry, she has seen God in these past four years move in radical ways. I said to her, Christine, can you just text me? Just send me one illustration of something that God has done. Here's what she wrote. Something happened recently, she said. The police in a specific uh, country that they were working to help to free these innocent victims of human trafficking, these girls who are being treated in ways that you and I cannot imagine being held against their will. She said the police in that area, they ran, ran out of money. So they weren't able to conduct the raids that we needed so that we could go into these places and, and get these girls out. So we had no way of gaining access to the victims in this particular country. So we prayed. We, we just decided we were going to pray for another avenue. She said, I got down on my knees with my husband and the women that worked with us in the A21 campaign. And what we prayed was that the men who were actually going in to be serviced by these girls, that they would actually go in and end up feeling so guilty that they would, in fact, rescue the girls instead of using the girls for their own pleasure. We played, prayed that their, the enemy's attempts would completely be sabotaged because the men that he would send in to abuse them would actually be the men that end up rescuing them. She said, we got down on our knees and we prayed for that because we had no other options. And the next day, the police contacted us and said that for the first time ever on record, a client had just come in, one of these men, had just come in and had dropped off a girl to the authorities. He had gone to a brothel the night before, and when he went to the room for the first time ever, he had decided to ask this girl for her papers. And when he saw her legal, legal documents and found out that that girl was being held there against her will, He decided he couldn't go through with his original intentions and instead rescued her and brought her to the authorities. She said, we were completely astounded. And so she has a passion for God because she has seen God move. And the reason why she's seen God move, are you ready? Is because she allows herself to be put in situations where God has to move. See, what we want is guarded Christianity. We want the safe, secure walls of a life that has ease and comfort and there's no risk involved. We say, my friend tells me this, she says, you know what we do as Christians? We pray and we say, Lord, I want to see you do a miracle. Lord, do something supernatural in my life. But in the next breath we pray, Lord, please keep me out of any situation in which a miracle would actually be required. (laughs) 
Lord, keep me out of any risky situation in which I feel like I won't be talented enough or gifted enough or have the, my own natural resources that will help me to be able to accomplish that on my own. Lord, I don't want to be in a position where I don't feel like I can take care of it myself. But when he calls us into a risky place where we don't have the talent, the skill, the ability, the resources, that's because he's setting us up to see his hand, to see his work. And he knows if you see his work, You'll have a passion stirred in your heart, a fire that is burning on the inside of you and on the inside of me that cannot be put out. But now, in Gideon's day, there are a group of people that not only don't know the Lord, they haven't seen the works of his hands for themselves. And as a result of the fact that their minds are not filled with the right things, their hearts haven't been stirred by the right things, we get back to chapter 6, verse 1, and now we know why their hands aren't doing the right things. Their hands are participating in activities that are evil and rebellious and dishonoring to God. And the reason stems from what was in their heart and what was in their head. In the 1700s and 1800s and early 1900s, there were several revivals that swept through our world. The first Great great Awakening, second Great Awakening. In the 1904, 1905, there was the Welsh Revival. And I mean, these weren't just revivals that marked the church. This is when God so swept through the culture in such a supernatural, unbelievable way that tens of thousands upon tens of thousands of people were coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord. And even those who did not place faith in him during the times of these revival, those people were were still affected because the context of the culture completely shifted every time one of these revivals happened. And they happened every 30 to 50 years. One of these revivals would sweep through the culture and would completely change the frame of reference of the entire culture. So politics was affected. The economy was affected. The marketplace was completely affected because of these revivals. So much so, y'all, that in Portland, Oregon, during one of these revivals, in Portland, Oregon, 240 shopkeepers in Portland, Oregon, actually shut down their stores from 11 o'clock to 2 o'clock each day because they wanted to make sure that everybody could go and pray. We can't even fathom that. Can you imagine going to the mall and Banana Republic is just not open today? (laughs) Because they want to make sure you have time to go and pray. You stop by Target and you can't get in. You look inside and all the employees are just on their knees praying and they want to make sure you have time to pray. So Target, Marshalls, TJ Maxx, they're just not open today. We can't even imagine that. We can't even imagine a context, a period in history where shopkeepers were so on fire for God themselves. And even if they weren't, they at least recognized the importance of the moral shift of the culture because of the revival that was sweeping through that they would honor God in this way. We have no context for that right now. And listen, that 30 to 50 year time period that marked each one of those revivals, y'all, that 30 to 50 year time period, it has come and it has gone. It's come and gone. So we had grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents. They saw the works of his hands. They were able to see it in a real tangible way, sweep through their cultures in a way that you and I and our children, God forbid, our great-grandchildren, what kind of culture are they going to grow up in if God doesn't mark the culture in a way that is unusual and unique just like he has before? So you and I have some praying to do right here on the onset of our Bible study. Right here as we look at what God might want to do in us and through us as we look into and dive into this study of Gideon. My friend Nancy uh, Lee DeMoss just uh, 
told me something that I thought would be a creative way for you and I to even begin to pray about this in our lives, how we're going to make sure that those around us know the Lord and the works of his hands. She told me about an evangelist that lived long ago, and he used to go into cities, different cities. He'd travel all around. He was an itinerant preacher, and he would travel all around, and he would preach into these specific cities that he was invited to. But before he would go into the city, he would stand on the outskirts of the city, and he would take a piece of chalk, and he would draw a circle around him as he stood on the outskirts of the city. And maybe you've noticed that I've been standing in a circle this entire time that I have been talking to you. That's been very strategic and very purposeful. Because this evangelist, he would stand on the outskirts of his city and he would raise his hands towards the city and he would say, Lord, bring revival to this city. But let the revival start in this circle. Let it start with me. So I thought that on the onset of our Bible study together, that I would lift my hands towards you and pray that God will bring revival to you wherever you are on the other side of that screen, wherever you're watching from someone's home or maybe you're on your job or maybe you're at home by yourself or you're in your your church with a group of women who have gathered with you, wherever you are, no matter the setting, I'm praying towards the end that you will see a revival of your heart for the things of God, that you will see revival and restoration in your family, that your marriage will be restored, that your children will be brought back home, that you will see the message of who God, God is and a revival of a passion for things for him be restored in your church and in your community and ultimately in your nation, my nation and yours. But I'm also going to ask that that in the quietness of your own home or in your own time or maybe before you leave your Bible study tonight, you grab some masking tape or your kids' toys or some books off the bookshelf and just make a little circle around yourself and step into it. And you pray for revival for your family, your church, your your nation, whatever God lays on your heart. But you ask the Lord to let it start in the circle. For the passion to start in your own heart, in your own mind, in your own desire to live in a way that is radically honoring and pleasing to him. And so, Lord Jesus, I ask right now that you would do in these weeks that we are spending together what only you can do. Lord, that you would inscribe your word upon our hearts. Lord, that you would ignite in us a passion for you that cannot be snuffed out, that cannot be shaken. I am praying for every single person under the sound of my voice, Lord, that you would cause them to see you so clearly through this Bible study of Gideon, that they will never again doubt your love for them, your value of them, and their ability to see your strength seen in their weaknesses. Lord, thank you so much for the revival that is going to come to every family, to every church, to every community, and to our nation, Lord. And thank you that we get the privilege of allowing it to start in the circle with us. In Jesus' name.